Hello and welcome to another Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator for MPN, and I'm here with three of our members, three women in recovery. Uh, could you introduce yourselves, please? Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm also a person in recovery from depression and anxiety. I am a licensed clinical social worker and about half of my job I spend supervising peer supporters. I've been involved with Montana Peer Network before it was officially the Montana's Peer Network um, and am thrilled to be able to be here today. So my name is Jennifer. I'm from Missoula. I've been in recovery for 10 years. Um, I've been a member of Montana's Peer Network for a little over two years, and I've been a certified behavioral health peer support specialist for a little over one year. So thanks for the invitation. It's good to be here. I'm Lori. I'm a woman in long-term recovery, and what that means to me is that since 2013, I haven't had to use self-harm, um, do crazy, awful things. Um, and today I get to live a life of fulfillment and moving forward. Um, I'm also a certified behavioral health for a little over a year um, and a member of Montana Peer Network for probably six years. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about a little bit today is about what it means kind of to be a woman in recovery and what kinds of things that might be unique to women as opposed to men. And uh, later on this month, there will be a podcast posting uh, with men in recovery also. So uh, Jennifer, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, you know, developing your new identity when you entered recovery? Uh, sure, that's a, that's a great question. I think anyone who faces recovery can be overwhelming at first, especially whether it's outside forces or internal forces that, you know, can concentrate on negativity. It can be something like, shame over actions that we've taken or not taken. It can be actual legal consequences. It can be pressure from peers, friends, workforce, family members, uh, all that sort of thing that can feel like, like for a period your identity is, is nothing but, but the issues, the that you're facing, you know, and it, be it addiction or be it, you know, mental issues or co-occurring, you know, both, you know, creating a new identity is, you know, partly self-confidence and practice. I think practice in all these areas that you want to change for yourself and trying to surround yourself with good, solid people who recognize the hard work and the practice that you're putting into becoming a new person and can help, you know, support and validate you in that, in that process to keep, to keep building you up rather than, you know, being tempted to stay in that sort of negativity. 
this was a this is was a big part of my story in early recovery um as i think it is for a lot of people we go we we come into this world we leave this world of chaos and bad coping skills and trying to self-medicate or however we choose to deal with our pain and our trauma and our our issues um, when i entered recovery everyone kept saying stick with the women stick with the women and i'm like ew why would i want to do that because in my in in my past i never could get anything out of women they they served me no purpose unless they had the connection or a place for me to crash or you know something like that um they they knew all the manipulation moves so they didn't work anymore when I got into recovery because they were smarter, <laughs> right? They've been there a minute. So that was a really interesting transition in my life was when I finally, um, and for me, it was very fortunate that when I entered into recovery for addiction, the meetings that I was going to was really women strong, right? There was so much strength in recovery through the women. And I listened. I listened to all the suggestions because I didn't know how to do it any differently. I, all I know how to do is, you know, go use or just do bad behavior or self-harm or not take care of myself. Um, so me moving forward in recovery, I got to move forward as a woman as a woman and that's what i was wanting to like i am a woman in recovery and there's a difference like when we gain five pounds holy cow when a man gains five pounds it's like mm, i gained five pounds right we think differently we don't i can't get from I can get recovery from anybody in recovery. Like I can draw from everything, but the uniqueness of what it is to be a woman, uh, there's so much power in that. And that's what kept me moving forward. And um, still to this day, it's the women that bring me the power it, because we understand each other. Like, I don't know what guys think. Like, you know, it's just, we think differently. We just think differently. I've learned to respect that and love that. And, um, and it helps me connect even deeper with the people that I serve. So I started my recovery at age 26. So I've been doing this for a while. And one thing for me was all the female role models, people who mentored me, people who were family members, people who were members of the church that I attended. And so I was lucky enough to be brought up by very strong women and had that empowering at an early age. But specifically for my mental health, I think one of the most empowering things that I did was when I worked at an organization that was very open about having mental health issues and being able to come forward because I really felt like 
the entire time I lived and worked in Washington state that I couldn't let that cat out of the bag. And so when I came to Montana and was finally able to do that, for me, that's when I really felt empowered. And I had a lot of strong female support around that. And part of that for me is I want people to know that you can have mental health issues and still be able to move forward in your life and break that stigma. Because I think that we still have a lot of stigma to break, even within the behavioral health fields. Um, and I think we're finally tackling that and acknowledging that there's co-occurring disorders and that you can't like separate things out. Um, and so for me, that's one of the big pieces because I, I mean, I was guilty within the system of being like, oh, you have an addiction issue. You need to go get that taken care of first. Now you go to addiction services. What do they tell you? You have a mental health issue. We don't do that. Go, go get mental health services. And so being able to be part of that change and helping people to do that while using my own experience to help build peer support services in Montana. And that's what makes me happy is being able to provide new and different things for people. So something that I heard you guys talk about was like your relationships with other women, right? So Lori, you said some of those were hard because of the manipulation and Stacy, you found some really good people. So can you guys just talk about how, if you had abusive experiences with women, you know, before you got into recovery, you know, how did that affect your relationships with other women? You know, when Stacy said that she had, a, you know, strong women in her family that helped her along the way, that really hit me because that wasn't, that's not my story. I have immensely strong women in my family, but they were abusive and hurtful and mean. And, you know, I was taught at a very young age that I was worthless and all of that came out of women's mouth. Right. And my grandpa and my dad, that was a really hard thing to overcome. You know, I was my mother's caretaker through her addiction and her mental health, and I was browbeaten, is that the right term? Browbeaten down over and over and over again, and I thought that was okay, and I thought that's how you were supposed to be treated, and I even carried that on to my own children. That was a hard thing to overcome. It was a hard thing to overcome. Like I said, women have, they we feel things a little bit more the same. So when I started talking openly about my experience with my mother and my grandma, both my grandparents, I was like, wow, like I'm not the only one who's been, who was a child being told they were worthless from the mother that tells them you are my life, right? You are everything to me and you were worthless you know those are hard things to balance out and I carried that with me for 
dang, 40 years, right, before I, I really wanted to talk to about it. Um, yeah, and I think that, like, Stacy also said, today, all my women are mentors. Um, Stacy's a huge mentor. She's been a huge part of my life and my story forever. And I have, you know, other people in committees that are helping me to understand legislation and how we can move forward. And I have women who want to help me with um, understanding forensic peer support and how we can help there. And I have women who's, who help me understand how to communicate with every kind of person imaginable. They're all women. They're all women. I think that's well, I think for, for me, you know, I had a, a little bit of a, I guess, a stereotype of some of the recovery groups out there, like, oh, they're just full of losers. And I didn't want to be one, even though I kind of was. So, you know, for me going into, you know, some of the different recovery groups and, you know, meeting women who wanted to be my friend, who wanted to be a mentor, um, who were finding ways to be successful in their life was just kind of mind blowing at first. It's like, wow, recovery is possible, right? You know, it just kind of took that seeing it with my own eyes first um, for me to believe it. And then kind of, like I said, just practice for myself to start to see some of those changes and to ha surround myself with women who, you know, I could eventually learn, learn to trust and were, did eventually turn into good, good friendships that would tell me that they saw good things in me. And I eventually learned to believe them, but it really took, you know, for me and some concentrated effort from people that were serious about showing other women recovery to break through yeah. some of those walls that of not trusting of thinking that you know they didn't mean what they said and and that sort of thing so you know it really took it took practice on both sides you know for me to say oh okay this person maybe really can be trusted maybe they do really want to be my friend you know maybe we can relate to each other in different ways um, in our life and you know, I think also sometimes just, you know, Stacy had mentioned about co-occurring and, and how everything is kind of tied together. And I absolutely agree with that. Uh, but I think it also took a little bit of recovery time for me to take away, you know, be away from the substances that I was using to get a little more clear-headed and understand things about myself, like where these triggers are coming from, and in order to be able to start learning how to cope with them in a different way, because there certainly could be situations, even when you are with a supposedly safe person, where something comes out of the blue and triggers you, and it's just a matter of learning what those things are. Like, I would be triggered by someone standing over my desk and it didn't matter whether it was a man or a woman that for whatever reasons was a trigger for me. So, you know, it's just kind of learning those things for myself. And sometimes that's unfortunately not an easy thing to do, but 
it's, you know, it's possible as part of the recovery process. And that's super hard. I mean, it gaining those insights isn't always easy. And a lot of times I think we do a lot of soul searching on trying to figure those pieces out, you know, why, you know, and not that we'll ever know all the answers to our why questions, but enough to keep us on track and doing what we need to do. Yeah. You know, I wanted to add to when um, I was before um, I gave my life a chance, um, you know, the women in my life were besides like bosses were I had to keep my eye on them because I didn't want them to steal my man, you know, or intrude on my territory, you know, but I was guarded against all women because they were going to steal what I had. That was a big one to overcome too, because, you know, it's one thing to build trust with one person, but it's a whole other thing to build trust with a whole gender, right? So can you guys talk a little bit about your relationships since Lori brought that up, like how your relationships with significant others have changed or if you have kids, you know, how has recovery impacted that? That's a tough one for me. I was, a, I didn't start using until in my thirties. And so my children were, they had had a life of Martha Stewart. They had the Martha Stewart life. I left my ex-husband because he's an addict and marched my butt right up here to Montana, Missoula from the Ravalli County and said, Hey, let's see what I'm missing. And I thought I was doing a really good job going to school, working full time, going to the bars, you know, raising my kids on my own, all of that stuff. But it, I didn't, but still through my, through my, uh, my use and my craziness, I thought because I, I loved my kids and I always told them that, that that was going to be okay. Now that I look back at it, it was just like my mom saying, you are my world and you are a piece of shit. Ooh, you, you're not okay at the same time. You know, I have two girls and they're polar opposites. I have one girl who, you know, she's the trauma that I brought into her life she has become very introverted. She keeps a small group of people. She's never dated. She's never done drugs. She's never smoked. She's never drank alcohol. She's almost 30. My youngest daughter, on the other hand, took the same path that I took. You know, she's in act, active recover, active addiction, and which is hard for me. Super hard. Because I want to push my recovery onto her. And she's like, I don't want your recovery. It's your recovery. And it's old people recovery. I want to do it my way. And it's taken me so many years and boundary setting and breaking boundaries and resetting them and yelling and crying at my, to my counselor. And I'm like, oh my God. But we have a pretty good set of boundaries and, you know, we have a communication. She contacts me even if she's high or not. And we keep, we keep a relationship going you know my mom our relationship is completely different than it ever was before I think that's because we both worked really hard on our own each own thing before we decided to come together and 
create a new and more, uh, oh, I love my relationship with my mom today. It's completely different. You know, now we're two women who, you know, she's my mommy and I love it. And so my, my story is a little different. I, for example, like if I was in a depressed state and I probably just, I was there, but I wasn't there. Right. Or I'd be in bed a lot or, you know, here's a box of macaroni and cheese. I fed you. Let's watch some more cartoons. But as I got better at my recovery, I was able to turn that around at times. I'm lucky. I have a very supportive husband who kicked in and helped. And unfortunately, uh, some of those genetics got passed on to my kiddos. So, and so now my, so my daughter, who's probably had the most impact of having health, mental health issues, she finally told me she was going to a therapist again. And I said, and I, I laughed and I said, yeah, I bet the first question you said, is, do you know, Stacy Wheeler? <laughs> and she's like, yep. And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, okay, we can work together. So it's nice to know sometimes that when, you know, like when she was a minor and we were like forcing these issues that it, it's kind of come full circle to where she's, actively seeking assistance so yeah mine would have been more the just the depression symptoms would be so bad that i wasn't very functional i think that's the issue with me today with my kids is depression depression will uh, keep me isolated from my kids and it's when they need me like it doesn't matter how old they are when your kids need you, your kids need you. And, and when I tell them I'm in recovery and, and I'm here for you, there's still times that I experienced depression and I shut off and then I got my kids saying, what the heck? Like, I needed you and you didn't answer your phone for three days. Well, because I was in bed. <laughs> Don't you understand that? <laughs> you know, and so it, it continues with me today you know, as I deal with less of my addiction and more of my mental health and my relationships, like I have a serious, serious issue with relationships of all, of all kinds. Um, and, and, I, and I'm working on it, but still that depression, when it happens, it happens. And, and I still let people down and, you know, and then, then I get more depressed and yeah. So my story is a little bit, uh, a little bit different. I don't have children of my own, so it kind of falls into other family relationships. And there is a set of family that still really keeps me cut out of their lives that has not been able to heal yet. They are aware that I'm in recovery, but that's you know that's that's their choice now and i have to respect that you know that being said i have been able to rebuild a relationship with my folks which has been 
really important. And I would say it kind of comes down to honesty. I mean, you know, there's my folks are kind of older and have occasionally had a little bit of health issues here and there. And I've been able to step up and help um, in a way that I couldn't you know, 10 years ago. And that's been, I think, healing for them and, you know, healing for the family as a whole, even though we're not all necessarily in contact with each other. Um, just that knowledge that mom and dad are still being taken care of, I think is, is helpful. And, you know, the honesty part, like a couple of you have mentioned things like depression. Well, you know, me being able to be open and honest about things that I'm going through or things that I'm feeling or how I can show up today, but maybe I'm going to have to go take a nap or something, you know, um, that kind of honesty, I think, has really helped other people in my life, whether it's my parents or coworkers or best friends or, you know, other people be able to share the same honesty and and just be truthful about where we're at from day to day and be able to reach out for help more. And, you know, that's pretty freeing in all my relationships too, especially, you know, especially friendships to be able to be open with someone and say, Hey, I can't, I can't be there for you today because of X, Y, Z, but I could do this for you, you know, and, and have the opposite uh, in return is I think, kind of just a key nowadays about just dealing with my own recovery issues and dealing with people in general you know just just flat out being honest <laughs> and that that helps you know take away some of the stigma too I think and also allows people to be a little more open themselves so uh, do you guys work with as peers or clients do you, do you work with men also or are you focused mostly on women i work with both and it's two and it's two different conversations always that's what i was gonna say right so tell me what you see as the differences between supporting men and supporting women the initial introduction is different right off the bat right i have worked in a man's field for, you know, I did landscaping for a long time. So I can, I don't get offended easy, but men come in a little bit more guarded and nothing's wrong. I'm a strong man. You know, they, they're trying to hold that stigma, right? And a woman some, sometimes will have that same kind of wall, but it's, it's a wall of emotion not you know manliness i don't know how to say that right um so the approach is different it, hey dude how's it going like nice tats or whatever you know do you want to go out and smoke a cigarette and get you know stuff like that women i can put on a more nurturing um because it is that we are so emotional we can connect through the emotions. I can tell that this is really tough for you. Can you tell me what happened? Do you want to talk about it? You know, just a softer, gentler approach. Now, when I get relationship building, when I've, you know, established the connection and, and we're working on the relationship, it's still different. Like men I'm working on it, you know, the conversations are different. The language is different. The, you know, they'll, 
the boundaries are different for sure. The boundaries are way different because girls don't hit on me. Girls don't try and take advantage of me right away like that. Men will. And you know, there's a conversation around that, right? Because that's their coping skill, right? Charmers will charm and they're going to keep. So I can say to that person, you don't need to call me honey. I ain't your honey. Just call me Lori. <laughs> you know, I bet that gets you a lot of girls. You know, I can talk to them like that. Now, I wouldn't say that kind of to a woman unless that's where the conversation goes because I can get pretty raunchy with women too, but it's in a different way, right? <laughs> it's in a different way. Um, it's, it's a funny ha-ha, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely different. It's, and it's always going to be different. I'm never going to have the same kind of relationship with the, with the male peer as I am with the female peer we're just different. We think different. We process different. Our emotions are different. It's, it's just never gonna. Yeah. And who would want to, who would want to treat a, a, a dude who is the, you know, a charmer with cats and Ooh, I'm going to describe my man, my, my beautiful, my dream man, you know, who's going to talk to them about, you know, Oh, your hair is so pretty. What do you use for product? although they would probably love to talk about it sometimes, you know, that's just not the conversation that you do. Right. <laughs> and I, I use some peer support stuff in my work, but yeah, I, I have a little different role with people. And one thing that I see though, is still that we're very gendered in how people should act. Right women can cry. That's fine. Still men shouldn't cry. I mean, it's still there. And so like, for me, I work with a lot of men who have been told like they're too sensitive, you know, you just need to buck up those kinds of things. So yeah, I mean, and I have had women hit on me. <laughs> So I don't think in this day and age, you can kind of make that one or the other, but, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, you know, I think that it is different. It's a different conversation. And then, you know, just based on people's personalities and stuff, you know, then you, I treat people how I think they want to be treated and how I would want to be treated. And so at times I've definitely had males that I'm working with, like, explain this to me as a woman, right? I'll try. <laughs> the other thing I think we see is where women will initially have a lot of emotions. I think that with the guys, I think I see more everything as I'm angry because that's acceptable. I was thinking about the men's men expressing their, their feelings. It's such a great to me when I've, I know that I've built a connection with a male when they can express their emotions as they are their real emotions, whether I be crying or not to be able to be that person, a female, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm just his peer comforting him and supporting him. 
and letting him feel his emotions like that is that doesn't have a gender role I don't think but it is a beautiful thing to be a part of that I absolutely for me I have noticed some of the differences that that both of you have have mentioned but one way that I when I'm working with a new peer one way that I try to get around that and also get around my own potential you know biases or stereotypes is to take take a walk with that person as part of our introductory appointment because then we're getting out of the office slash clinical four walls and just like let's just walk down to the park and see what we end up talking about and uh usually that kind of puts people at ease a little bit more and can let the information you know flow a little bit more freely and you know the other thing too i think for me it just comes from being a little bit older and a little bit more self-assured than i was when i was 20 and i'm okay being a dork now you know so if i make a mistake on the computer or say something stupid when i'm on hold on the phone with a person i can laugh at myself and usually that's a really good icebreaker too, because then they realize that I'm not necessarily this absolute 100% professional person. I've got some flaws myself, and uh, I guess I'm embracing them more these days and finding them useful. <laughs> Very useful sometimes, huh? Great connection, our flaws. <laughs> it's nice though to get to that age where we are feeling way more comfortable with who we are. Yeah, working with young women who are just now starting out, you know, ah, putting myself back, remembering when it, you know, when I was entering my 20s, how differently I saw the world. 30 years later, my world is, I look at it completely different. Now, I don't know if that's just with age. I'm sure it has a lot to do with because I've been working on my mental health issues for a long time. Um, but I think that's more of a harder connection for me. It's the age gap than the gender gap. Because, it, it, gosh, girls, we, oh, we are so emotional. <laughs> Gosh. Half the time, I don't even think we're speaking the same language. <laughs> yeah, I think that for me, it's harder for me to connect with a young person versus. Yeah, I definitely have to use super good active listening skills to find out a little more of what their perspective or where they're coming from is. And I think because they don't know it. 21 or 22 right 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 none of us knew and pointing out what they're doing well and what they're doing right pointing out their strengths i mean i think that's ageless but it can especially be important to people who are struggling at a young age and you know, i can remember that and hopefully we will be those women that they'll look back in their life and be like gosh that person was really there for me you know, it didn't matter what I did, what I said, you know, they didn't give up, right? And that, I think, is the importance of being a peer. Well said.
thank you so much, Lori, Stacy, and Jennifer, for joining me in this special Recovery Month 2020 podcast. We have events going on, at least one event every day in September, since we are not able to do our recovery conference in person. Every time you take part in one of our events in September 2020, you can get a code that you can use to enter into a contest for drawings. We have some great electronics. You can find those on our website, mtpeernetwork.org rm2020. And I'll link that in the description of this podcast. There you can find a whole list of the things that we are doing in September and also the link to the entry form. To enter the contest, you will need the code WRR3AD. So when you enter your information in that code, you'll be able to submit it to win one of the great prizes uh, that you can see on our website. Again, that code is WRR3AD. Thanks for joining us and have a wonderful recovery month.